Welcome to Table Radio Season 2. This week's sermon was preached by Andy Withrow on Sunday, January 23rd. Enjoy! Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in herself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately she falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful." As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. She indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. So if you joined us last week, we had three big ideas from this parable. We notice that God's word goes everywhere. Very irresponsible sower, God is. On the path, on rocky soil, is wasting seed. Doesn't seem to mind. There is seed in abundance. And we had, we challenge ourselves with an imaginative shift. What if we, and maybe some of us think this way, man, God is so quiet, so silent. I wish God would speak. But what if we shifted our imagination to a chatty God, to a God who is very liberal with his words and speaking to us? What if there was a God of ours who was always desiring for us to hear his words, constantly speaking, sowing his words irresponsibly all over the place, always speaking to us? It's the receiving or the hearing that sometimes is the problem. God's word goes everywhere. We saw how Jesus imitates God in this. It's like God going all over Israel, preaching and teaching in all the towns, all the synagogues, to the crowds, to the individuals, to the small groups, to everyone in between, his disciples, his enemies. didn't matter. Always speaking. That's the first big idea. Second big idea is that God's word is hidden. It's not that impressive. It's small. It's like a seed. It doesn't look like it'll do much. And it does its work underground, where you can't see it, hidden. And for all Jesus preaching and teaching to so many people, it sure looked like his ministry was a failure at times. A lot of people rejecting the message. Maybe not what we'd expect if this was a man from God speaking God's words, we might expect a lot more fruit right away. Jesus, at least in part, is telling this parable as a way for us to understand, and his audience to understand, the coming of God's kingdom does not always look like we expect it to look. And it often looks like failure before it looks like success. And the third point we talked about, third idea, was God's word is very Very potent. For all the obstacles, for all the challenges, for all the hiddenness, 
the crop that comes out of this is huge. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. If you're doing the math, that's 3,000, 6,000, and 10,000% rate of return. God's word is potent. We compared it to Genesis 1. God spoke, and he creates, he makes creation from his words, from the power of his words. That's the kind of potency that comes out of this. So that's the recap. God is chatty, maybe more chattier than we think. Likes to disclose himself, likes to reveal himself. God's word is hidden, even when at work, and God's word is powerful and highly productive. And tonight we're going to focus on what are the obstacles? What are the things that get in the way of this hidden yet potent word? What are the obstacles to God's powerful word in our lives and in our world? We might ask, why on earth, to repeat a question from last week, why on earth, if this is God's words, and this, is, this Jesus is God's man, why does it sometimes or even often feel like this Christianity thing isn't working or losing? Part of the answer from last week that we talked about that carries over to this one is that the word sown does not look that impressive. It's a small thing. It's just a word, after all. It's just a seed. It's invisible. It goes away right after you set it. And what's worth, after it's sown, you can't see it anymore. Is it working? Is it growing? Is it doing anything? I can't see it. But an added reason that the word appears to fail is that there are actual real ways to resist God's word and work in our lives and in the world. So instead of God's kingdom taking root in and around us and in our lives and in the world around us where peace and justice and goodness and mercy can take root and grow up and sprout and come to fruition in our lives and in our relationships and our neighborhoods, instead of that, the word is taken away or it shrivels up or it gets choked and we don't see any transformation in our lives or in our neighborhoods, or in the world around us, in our relationships. We don't see any fruit. And the first obstacle that Jesus underscores is that of understanding. This is verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his or her heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, when we're reading this, if we're careful, we should have a problem at this point. We should say, wait a minute, I don't understand. Oh, no. When anyone doesn't understand, really, like, doesn't intellectually grasp what was being said? It doesn't sound like Jesus. It doesn't seem like the kind of guy to keep the less smarter people out, the dummies. Like there's an IQ test to belong to God's kingdom. Doesn't sound very gospely. Doesn't sound right. And it isn't. It's not from the one who said to enter the kingdom of heaven, one must become like a child. No way. So what's going on? 
understanding in the biblical setting has to do with personal knowledge. The prophet Isaiah, he's very much in the background of this story, he's quoted in, um, in this chapter about why Jesus is choosing to speak in parables. So it's important to understand how Isaiah used the term understand and what he meant by it. So here's something from Isaiah 1. The ox knows its owner. The donkey knows its master's crib. But Israel has not known me, and the people have not understood me. Here, understood is paralleled with a personal knowledge, not intellectual understanding. It's similar to our relationships. Don't you know me? Have you ever said that to someone who should know you? Don't you know me? You're not talking about intellectual type of understanding, but a more intimate, personal, and relational type of knowing. You might complain to a friend or loved one, I feel like you just don't understand me. It's not because they're too dumb, usually, or they don't understand the meaning of the words coming out of your mouth. That's not what we mean. They've not invested in the relationship, or they don't want to hear what we're talking about. There's an internal resistance at work. This is the seed that fell on the hard path. This is the word of God that falls on a hardened, resistant heart that does not ultimately want to hear it. Here's Isaiah 7, where God's warning the king of Israel not to fear the nations, but to rather trust in God. The head of Ephraim was rising up against you, Samaria. The head of Samaria, the son of Ramalia, was the king. If you do not believe, trust, neither shall you understand. The prophet now pairs understanding with belief or a trusting kind of loyalty. It overlaps with that personal type of knowledge, this trust, but it adds this dimension of commitment. And this fits so nicely with Jesus' parable in his setting with the disciples. He says, you're all insiders. You get to be with me. You know me. You're learning to trust me with your whole lives. And this is worth quite a lot. Because without that believing trust, it's actually impossible to comprehend the kingdom of God. The writer of Hebrews says something similar. Without faith, it's impossible to please God without this believing trust. And the word of God cannot grow in you. It can't even penetrate the hardness of your heart. Isn't that amazing? God's word is so powerful that according to Genesis 1, it's responsible for all of creation. That's the power of God's word. Light, land, heavens, earth, stars, sun, moon, amazing. Fish, animals, humans, all, but, all by the power of God's word. The Bible says by the power of God's word, he raises up and brings down kingdoms. His word won't return empty. It'll accomplish its work. And even here in the parable, the word ultimately succeeds with a ridiculous return on this investment. That's how powerful and potent it is. And yet, God invests the human heart, that seed of our will and our loyalty. 
He invests the human heart with such dignity and power that it is allowed to, it's given power to resist God's word. Even the power of God's word. And God gave it the power to do so. If we choose. Isn't that crazy? He made us that way? So important was our freedom to God's plan for this world and the goodness of his kingdom that he designed our hearts in such a way that even his powerful word couldn't override it. He wants our trust and our loyalty and he won't cheat to get it. And this is the word that falls on us when we resist. When we refuse to come to Jesus in trusting loyalty, we fail to know him in his saving power and to understand him in his teaching on God's kingdom. That's the first obstacle. And the second major obstacle has to do with roots. Roots, like conduits of water, nutrients from the soil, the stronger the roots, the stronger the plant. Jesus next warns that even those who receive the word, trust and believe, can still struggle if they do not have roots within themselves. In other words, it appears that God's word can be received and not kept. As soon as things get hard because of the word, that person withers up. Their faith withers up. Their trust. The word for tribulation in my ESV text is thlipsis. It's the fun Greek word to say. It means crushing pressure. So I'm get overly caught up on traditional definitions of persecution of your faith, although that's surely included here, but it's much bigger and broader than that. This is the pressure that comes when two kingdoms collide, when two opposing forces are at odds with each other and are fighting, and you're caught in the middle of that pressure. Gets us here in North America as sure as it gets anyone anywhere. This is a cost to your trusting obedience to Jesus, to belonging to a different and alien kingdom. We live in a world and a kingdom that is definitely, at many points and places, hostile and at odds with the kingdom of God, with his mercy and peace and goodness and justice. And we need something that will sustain us in the midst of this flipsis, this crushing pressure. And these roots, these conduits of nutrients and life-sustaining water reminds me of John 15, where Jesus uses a similar image for a similar idea. I am the vine. You are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. I think we're meant to see these roots as habits of devotion. Means by which we remain in Jesus. How we stay connected to him. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. This love or devotion of one thing at the root, the thing we're focused on, devoted to, is the root of all kinds of other things, for good or for bad. And so we see the parallel here. If the root speaks of a devotion to God in Jesus, 
It will lead to all sorts of certain kinds of fruit of God's kingdom. Mercy, peace, justice, love, kindness, goodness. But the roots must remain strong or the crushing pressure of colliding kingdoms will be too much for us. We won't be strong enough. So the habits of Christian devotion, community in worship together, prayer, both solitary and together, community, regular reading and studying of God's very words to us written in the Bible, meditation, reflection on scripture, listening for God's voice in our daily lives, accountability and mutual encouragement in Christian community, just to name a few of those habits of devotion that keep us connected to Jesus. These practices lay down roots that connect us to the source of life and sustainability in the midst of the crushing pressure that we find ourselves in. This is how to overcome the second obstacle to God's kingdom exploding in our lives, which is what the seed wants to do naturally. Exploding in our lives, exploding in our relationships, in our neighborhoods. And then there's a third obstacle. Apart from a trusting loyalty that receives God's word into our lives and a rootedness that connects us deeply to our ultimate life source in Jesus, we have a strong temptation for competing allegiances. God's word can be heard, received, but then choked out. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, says Jesus, these are, these are the competitors of our allegiance. There are all sorts of gospels out there, really. Constantly advertising, marketing for our very soul's attention. Sounds dramatic, but it's the aim. How can we live the good life? How can we put salvation in a bottle? How can we put it on a screen or in an experience? We're always doing that. We're all experts at envisioning the kind of life and lifestyle that will be our ultimate salvation. I'll know I'm good when I can do this, when I have that. Whatever gives us a sense that we're okay, that we're enough, give us a sense of meaning and significance. Tell us who we are and why we're enough. All that stuff. And then there's the means to get it. Money is a popular one, so much so that Jesus calls it out specifically. He also puts in the more generic cares of this world. And just like God's word is everywhere, but hidden, not all that impressive in seed form, the word of this world's kingdom, this world's gospel, is also everywhere. I just think of the magazine aisle while I'm waiting to pay for my groceries. Gospel. Or the commercials in between the story of the movie or the show I'm watching. Or the movie or the show I'm watching, for that matter. Or whatever I'm reading. Just like God's word, it's everywhere. But it's not as hidden. (laughs) It's really attractive. Even sexy, in your face, designed to be super impressive. It's very alluring and often super convincing, especially when you put it side by side with the seed of God's word. 
And sometimes I just want to cry out, God, hire a marketer. Get a graphic designer. You see the competition? Please. You can't compete with this. Except for the end of the parable, where God's word and its fruit has no comparison, no rivals in the end. What does the word of God do where there are no obstacles? We see that in the fourth sowing. The roots naturally grow deep, and the competition has been weeded out to create space. Word has been received in trusting loyalty. Habits have been formed around our devotion. I want to stay connected to you, Jesus. So these are the concrete things I am forming my life around to make sure that that happens. And I'm going to be super wary of the competition for my allegiance. I tend to be one who will go after fancy things that are glossy. (laughs) And when I've weeded those out, the roots can go down, and we get a return that defies comparison. We talked about it last week. 3,000, 6,000, 10,000% return on investment. If you bought Bitcoin five years ago, it would be only about a 5,000% rate of return. So this is double that. This is the fruit of God's kingdom, as Anna taught us a few weeks ago. The space where God is present to us and his will is worked out in our midst. Peace, goodness, flourishing, growth, love, joy, and justice. And I want to end by going back to the beginning of last week. And um, Richard and Rael can come back up. Just that imaginative shift that it's God's desire to know us and to be known by us. To shift our imaginations from God, why are you silent to, God, I trust that you are constantly speaking. And I want to learn how to hear your voice in my everyday life. And I want to shape and form my life around these habits that train my ear to hear your voice. God, we give you thanks for the promise of this parable, that you are not a quiet God, not a shy God, but a God who loves us so much. He showed up in the flesh to be with us, to speak to us, and that is still your character. And would you soften our hearts? You open us up to look for you in spaces we hadn't thought possible, to hear your words where before it was quiet. God, would you grow our roots deep and strong? Now, would you bring your kingdom into our corner of the world here in Victoria, into our neighborhoods, into our families, to our relationships, our houses, our jobs, our classes, our neighborhoods, and all the rest? Love you and thank you. And we trust, we trust that your word wins in the end. We love and we desire to be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by Richard Charter. For more information, please go to richardchartermusic.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. Thank you.